The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. If you're like me, you probably wake up once in a while and you say, the world just isn't catching on to the story we're telling about ourselves and our company. Between our ads, our social media presence, word of mouth, referrals, how do we put the word out there in the best and most compelling way to best grow our company? To answer that question, Mark Gutman. Mark, welcome to the show. Joel, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you're a, you're a former Hollywood guy. That's uh, kind of what what the word is, right? That is true. That is true. I spent about seven or eight years working in the movie business. Uh, very first job uh, I got to Hollywood from. I grew up in Detroit, so all I ever used to do was dream about coming to California because based on all the images, based on every movie I saw, what was the coolest place in the entire world? Hollywood. California. Yeah, California. And, you know, and, and, you know? and, and just 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 by the way. Uh, the fact you don't live here anymore means that something went wrong. <laughs> and the dream wasn't maybe all it was cracked up to be. <laughs> well, and we could talk about that, but the, the short version is no, man. Like working in the movie business is like it's a it's called the movie business, and it's a lot of hard work. And yeah, and, yeah. and, and we could talk about that. And I was like, well, if I'm gonna do this hard work, I can, you know, I want to check some other things yeah, out. Well, but, listen, that's that's it's a great start. I live here, so it's 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 you know, listen, the the people who are in that business are are all around, they live near us. I mean, it's just you know, it's just it's everywhere, but What's the big takeaway for you about that business? What makes that business tick that then propelled you into the next phase of your career? Mm, well, the big takeaway for me, you know, it, it, kind of getting back to that idea of being a kid in Detroit, I thought, I thought that's where the magic happened. I thought it was magical. And the real big takeaway for me is that it wasn't magical. It was super gritty. It's super... Um, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of purpose. It's it's done by real people. And that's not to knock the industry at all. It's just like, it's a real industry. And I think my perception of it was that it was where, where magic happens. You know, I would just be fl- like walking around my, my pool in the hills and my bathrobe being smart and coming up with ideas. And that's what being a writer or a movie maker is like, but it's not. You know, the, the thing about the movies is that, you know, we see the actors, but we don't realize all the other layers that takes to make it. And, and probably the most unsung heroes, or maybe, maybe they're, they're acknowledged properly, but the writers, it's the genius of the writers to compose the story, the lines, just the flow. It's, it's so smart how that happens. So 
Well, you were a writer, I guess, right? I was. That's what I wanted to do. It was make movies. But to build on what you're saying, I mean, it's the writers, it's the casting people, it's the actors. I mean, so many people are involved in in bringing ideas to life. So it's, you know. Yeah, you know, it's, you can't, you can't, there's not one thing that doesn't matter. I mean, the, the, the cinematographers, the directors, I mean, the, these casting people who get it just right. And in a certain way, I think of myself as a business leader, as a casting director. I think it's my job to put people in the right roles. And if you don't get people in the right roles, then then the business doesn't work either. I mean, so I actually kind of use the Hollywood metaphor in my own life. So, yeah, and, and building a brand and building a business is just like making a movie. And it all starts with a vision, a dream. I mean, one of the reasons I transitioned from the movie business to business business is because I was like, I can't believe that there's people out there that just come up with an idea. They, they, they have an idea to solve a problem. And then they make it happen and they solve that problem and they go into business and they build a business that has all these, as they say, knock on effects where, uh, you know, you're employing people, you're changing your community, you're providing for yourself and your, your family. Um, and to me, that was really, really amazing, but it's a lot like making a movie. You have an idea and then you got to start to cast the people. You got to raise the money. You got to put it out into the world. And then you can do all the work of building a business and you put it out there in the audience may love you and they may reject you. You just never know. So, you know? so let's, let's spend some part of this show going through the metaphor. I, it's a great metaphor. You know, we're, we're making a movie, you make a business, you're making a movie. You're, you're actually creating something for people to absorb, you know, and, and let's, let's, let's play on the metaphor. So what's, if somebody's starting a business, um, you know, and let's assume that they are solving a problem and let's say it's a legitimate problem. Cause there's a lot of people that solve problems that nobody has, by the way, <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Um, so walk us through, if you were writing the movie or if you were directing the movie, if you were putting the deal together, where do we start? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think the, the two places you start in business or in a movie are, are one of two places. I, they're, they're linked together. I think of them as fraternal twins. You can flip flop, which one goes first. Uh, but you either start with your why, you know, you have something to say, something you believe in the world. Or you start with who, who, who do you want to serve? Who, who's that audience? Who are you talking to? Um, so even in building a business, you know, I prefer probably eight times out of 10, I start with who I always want to think like, who am I helping? What, who am I serving? What problem am I solving? Who's going to, who has the, who has the problem? Yeah. Who has the problem? But you know, you can, a lot of times, you know, and very famously Simon Sinek is well known for start with why. And sometimes I think you can start, start there, but I, like I said, I start there probably about two out of 10 times. And that's like, what's my purpose? What do I believe in? What, you know, what are my, what's, what's, what's a core belief I have and something that I just have to, to chase either as a business or from a, from a, from a movie or a story. So, so story let's, you know, mo most of our listeners are senior executives from middle-sized companies. Okay. Uh, these people are already running companies and somebody did the thinking about it a long time ago. That doesn't mean they can't rethink it. But they're already rolling. They've got some momentum in the marketplace, probably a lot of momentum in a lot of cases. Um, how do they re-examine their who, their why, their story, their vision, the whole thing? I mean, so let's assume that they're already rolling. These are not startups. Mm -hmm. that The movie's already kind of rolling along, and we got to kind of make act two in a certain way. <laughs> yeah, and maybe we're you know maybe we're taking the the movie metaphor a little too far. I'll just I'll I'll speak right to the to the to the business leaders. They know, 
right? When things are going well, you don't need to re-examine your who and your why when your business is working. Like, like you don't re-examine that. It's typically in term in, in, in periods of, of, of transition when things when you're we're in your influx when there's a period of instability within your business. And when does that happen in bigger businesses? You start you, you've you've gone through a generational cycle and you're not as relevant as you once were. Uh, the world around you is changing and has changed from when you started your business to where you are now. You know, like I, I was just thinking about a book I read called The Heart of Business by Herbert Jolie. I probably said his name wrong. And he is the former CEO of Best Buy. Okay. So that, that's a big business. And they and they were they were rolling. We all knew Best, Best Buy was crushing it. Best Buy couldn't do no wrong. And then a lot of external factors in the world happened to Best Buy, right? The internet came, behaviors changed, a lot of competition, Amazon's here. So here's a period of instability where they have to, and his whole book is about how he looked at his why, how he looked at his purpose um, and had to rebuild. And a lot of that was like, hey, we have to reinvent ourselves. We have to become relevant again. Why would anyone care about Best Buy? So I think to leaders in business were asking, when, when, when do I start to look at this? You know, you're not hitting your numbers. Things aren't going well for you. This is, this is a great time to, to look at your, you know, your, you know listen, uh, the thing is that the numbers are a trailing indicator. You know, they they happen after the fact they're lagging. Uh, there are things that happen in advance. And my sense is that, you know, although these things are factual, Companies may or may not look at them. They may not look at them accurately. They may not believe them. They may have a, a some kind of a bias that, that they don't want to believe them. So how does a company that's rolling along, that's probably not doing well, but they may or may not know that yet, how do they kind of get honest with themselves about what's going on? Yeah, well, to your point, Joel, right, you're going to be hearing about this. You're going to be hearing you're going to have uh, immediate feedback from your customers and you're going to start feeling it. We know when we're getting feedback from our customers and things aren't totally aligned. We're also going to get that feedback from our frontline employees and salespeople. They're going to say, look, our message isn't resonating. We're losing sales. People aren't buying. And then another real-time indicator is going to be on the internal side. You're going to have your best employers are going to be leaving. They're going to be dissatisfied. You're going to have trouble recruiting. These are all things that are happening if you're not being uh, you know, honest or looking at the, the trailing indicator uh, numbers. However, how do, we, how do we make this move? Well, this is more of like you know, an organizational sort of uh, change, transformational change question. It's like you need strong leadership. You need someone uh, who needs to come in and is going to be a part of that change. Now, does it have to be? The CEO, no, we all have the power to impact people immediately around us. So say you run a team at a large organization, you can take that on yourself and you can start to impact those people around you. And people are going to start to take notice and say, look, wait a second, Joel, you're doing something different with your team. We might need to emulate that. But at a big organization, typically it's a top-down type initiative. You know, I, I'll tell you, I, I think about... Um... All those things are are great ideas. They're, they're probably the correct ideas, but there's a lot of people who are running companies that are not the greatest leaders. Great leaders do the things that you're talking about, but there are other leaders that are there because they're there for whatever reason they're there and they're kind of keeping things going, but they're not probably the greatest person to make a hard left turn or a hard right turn or whatever needs to happen. And they've got this confirmation bias that's, that says, 
you know, the people aren't buying our product. Well, that's because you're a bad salesman or the market's saying whatever. Well, those people are idiots and we need to find other customers that don't think that way. <laughs> or, or, I mean, there's always a pushback and, and, and it really ends up being the leader, you know, that, that probably is having a problem. You ever run into this? I mean, I mean, I have to imagine a lot of companies that go down the drain, uh, they're blindsided by their own fault. All the time. I mean, we have story after story after story of leaders in hindsight who didn't listen to the customers yelling at them right in the face that, hey, we want something different. You know, there's Blockbusters, Kodak, there's all these companies that that we can go down, you know, the list. And um, yeah, and, and I'm fortunate because in my line of work, I don't end up working with a lot of those leaders, you know, because they wouldn't be working with me if they were super resistant to change. So, well, you, I'm you, gonna, you know, and, and me too, they, uh, they, yeah. they come to guys like us because they want vibrancy. They want new ideas. So, you know, and, and the other thing is that when I hear about Blockbuster Kodak and all the regular ones that we always hear about, I wonder if it's that we have the advantage of hindsight. You know, I wonder if we were in the shoes of those people at that time, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of examples of people that bought Bitcoin for uh, 49 cents and sold it at 52 cents because they didn't think they'd ever make any money on it. And everybody's laughing at them now, but 11 or 12 years ago, I mean, people had no idea what was going to happen. So part of it is there's a little hindsight on the audience's part, but anyway, let's, let's go back. So let's, let's say that a company is doing great uh, or, or, or maybe they're not doing great and they need to rewrite their story uh, kind of midstream. And, you know, they, they need a whole new branding. They need a whole new story. You know, how do they go about rethinking themselves? Yeah. Well, telling your story, all that is, is it's an act of communication, right? And we were talking a little bit about this in, in my experience in Hollywood. And I came out of this really formal kind of three-act structure, cinematic storytelling. And people were always asking me to tell their story. And I was always trying to jam it into that construct. And ultimately we had a lot of unhappy engagements, both from the client side and from my side, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and it took a lot of learnings because we don't really communicate and tell our brand story or even, you know, think of it as in a company or as I'm talking, think about it. Think of yourself as a brand because these things, these things definitely are apply and, and the metaphor is the same and, and they apply in the same way. We don't, we don't tell it in a three-act structure always, right? There is, you know, people there are using these clever devices to sell their products and say, okay, well, you know, we're gonna put your brand into a three-act structure. But really, there's there's three phases to, to telling your story. And uh and, and a brand story, you want to get that, that what's the foundation? What's the internal clarity? What's the brand DNA? What's that stuff like your purpose, your vision, your mission? You know, what are your values? What are, what are those things that are the internal part of the brand? Then you have what we refer to as external clarity. So that's who are your customers, what makes you different, and what's the competitive landscape look like? And then lastly, we want to shape up, well, what's our personality of the brand? You know, people are attracted to brands that have a, a human uh, personality and that, and that they know where they're coming from. And we can talk a little bit about that. So, so once you do that in phase one, and that's a great way. And even if you're, you know, a startup, whether you've been in business for 30 years, I mean, I work with one brand, um, Airstream, uh, the, the vaulted iconic RV company, they're a hundred year old company. They, they go, they touch in on this stuff um, from time to time. You then want to think, okay, well, now that I have this information, I need to create a communication language, right? And the first part of that is what everybody thinks about. 
it's your logo, it's your hats, it's your t-shirts, it's your business cards. But also we want a messaging framework. We, and this is where I think a lot of people out there are talking about using things like the hero's journey and, and, and frameworks like that to, to, to frame up your brand. And you want to build up those assets because look, we are multimedia communicators. We're not just about words. We're not just about images and we're not just about video or audio. Like we're on a podcast right now. We as people communicate in all different mediums and that's what we have to do with brands. So that's kind of what we're really doing is we're building up this communication toolkit. And then the third phase really becomes that storytelling phase. And this is where, you know, your brands are made. It's great to run out of a room and be like, I've got a purpose statement. And it's really cool to get a logo and a new identity and get t-shirts and hats. But well, really, let's, let's hold, let's hold on yeah. to that part three. Cause a part three, I'm going to spend a little more time on it. But what I really like about part one that uh, I, I think is incredibly important and very few people talk about it. And, and you, you phrased it exactly the way I would phrase it. I mean, it's, it's just perfect. And that is, you called it a personality. Companies have personalities. So what do you want? You, you want to be known as cool? Do you want to be known as serious? Do you want to be known as expert? Do you want to be known as uh, radical? Do you want to be known as leading? I mean, there's, there's certain, right? I mean, that's, and companies have to make a deliberate decision about that. And there've been great examples of companies that were old and stodgy. Next thing you know, uh, you know, a couple of years later, we think of them as in a kind of like new and, and hip and cool and, you know, leading edge. And, and, you know, the, the, revel, the, the turnaround that their agencies have caused for them is like amazing. So, you know, I mean, companies don't have to know how to do it to just recognize that they need to do it and then hire somebody to do it for them because they're not going to get the how-to part, you know, from a place like this, certainly. Exactly. And, and you know, great places to look are industries that we think are boring, that are commoditized. Let's look at an industry like the insurance industry, Right. You can bring up a Geico commercial and what's their personality? Fun and silly, right? And they're always telling jokes, yet the Prudential is going to be very serious and we're the rock and we, we've got you. And State Farm is kind of that cool, like, you know, every man kind of personality. Hey, we're for everybody. We're the gap of insurance, you know? And it really um, comes down to who you want to be in a personality uh, perspective, but also who you're trying to attract as, as a customer. And what they're going to like. Yeah, and you'll see a lot of these insurance companies that are maybe uh, for for you know millennials, for people just getting started, lower lower income, up and coming customers, right? Like they'll they'll be like kind of fun and hip and cool, and then these 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 insurance companies that are for older, more established, uh, maybe people a little bit more money and a little bit more to protect. That's the message they're gonna they're gonna convey. Literally, it's just insurance. I don't think either of them really offer a different product when it comes down to it. It's just a different, it's just a different positioning, right? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so one of one of the things that uh, I would be concerned about if I was a company, uh, you know, and, you know, as, as a listener kind of representing their, their concerns is how do you make sure that the messaging that's in your advertising, that's in your social media, that's in your word of mouth campaigns, that's in your sales, uh, uh, your sales team's uh, script or whatever is kind of consistent. I mean, how does that happen? Because everybody kind of makes up their own story, tells about the company their own way. How much should a company police this and, and, and kind of lay down the tracks? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked. I mean, what's the old adage? If you're not telling your story, somebody else is. So, um, you know, that that's really what this work is about. And so we, we were talking a little bit about stages and phases. And when you take phase one and phase two, you actually document and articulate that type of information into a messaging framework. Hey, here are our core messages. Here are the core themes that we want to communicate from our brand out to the market so that we are consistent. So that when we go to social, we know, hey, we are going to communicate these seven top themes. This is it. We're not going to like, you know, and that doesn't mean that that you need to be repetitive. You know, I, I like to imagine that the brand manager for Patagonia is standing around and, and, and just like one day, can we just not talk about, you know, protect, protect these public lands one day. Can we say, you know, buy this jacket versus like, don't buy this jacket. And Patagonia's like, no, that's not what we do because we know that when they hit those themes over and over again, we know who they, they are. We know what to expect from them and they land. We, we resonate. I can, probably repeat most of their themes in advertising because I've seen them over and over again. Now that doesn't mean that they've said the exact same thing, but they're consistent in their, their key messages. And so um, when you take the work, you, you really, um, you really develop a messaging framework, if you will, with a core message. Hey, we're, we're for the, we're for the little guy. We're for, we're for the hero in you, you know, just do it. But then we start to build on those with, with sub messages so that we can filter out and be consistent. And then, you, yes, you you're right. The management of that really hard, right? Like, I mean, that, that's a whole nother job and topic onto itself. Do you think it's possible to be such a good marketer that you don't need to sell? Uh, I think that that is the pinnacle ideal of marketing. I think, I mean, yeah. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I don't know, marketing is 50%, selling is 50%, let's just say. But is it possible for the pendulum to swing so far, like Patagonia, where they're so good and people love them so much that you never have to ask them to do anything? They just do it. Is is that a realistic thing for a company to think about? Or is that just pie in the sky? Yeah. And like, let's be clear. I mean, Patagonia, they advertise. Like I get hit with their advertising and stuff. They send me a catalog. So they're not totally altruistic and passive. Uh, they're, they're sending me stuff that's like, Hey, you know, we want you to purchase from us, but yes. I mean, I think that the pinnacle of great marketing and great branding is just that like people seek you out. They align with you. They're not so much buying you. They're choosing you, you know, like I think most of the products I buy, and I think most people are like this, I'm not being sold. I already know I need something, you know, like, like Yes. Do I get cold called every day? Absolutely. But how many of those things do I actually take action on? Like when I want a car, I know I need a car. I'm not like sitting like one day I don't sit around and be like, get a, get a Super Bowl commercial and go like, Oh man, time to buy a car. You know, like I'm going to buy a car. And then I start thinking, well, okay, what car, you know, what's my budget? What's my category. And then as I start to go through that, then I start to think like, okay, well, What's this car going to say about me? Is it going to tell me that I'm an adventurous kind of guy? Is it going to tell me that I'm a forward-thinking tech guy who's, uh, you know, part of the environmental solution with a Tesla? Uh, all these different things start to. Am I, am I a better parent because I buy a Volvo and I, and I keep my kids safe because I want to, you know, I'm, I want to do everything I can to, uh, you know, be the best parent I can be. That type of thing. So you know, when, um, when those when those yeah. big companies uh, work their magic, what it really means is that they, what you're describing, they have gotten under your skin. If, if you're thinking about what the car says about you, because based on what they told you, it says about you, they've really gotten under your skin, haven't they? 
Oh, for sure. And I do. I'm so worried about it. I mean, at one point, um, you know, I wanted to buy uh, some sort of fancy car and I didn't because I was worried that clients would, would have the wrong perception of me and things like that. Um, you know, I drive a uh, Model Y now and I fully like accept the fact that like I do that because I think A, it makes me look cool. B, uh, it makes me part of the solution. I feel like I'm, forward, I'm, I'm like modern, right? Like I'm thinking that I'm part of the environmental solution. I'm part of this wave of electric vehicles. So all these things, you know, I could have bought just something else just as good for cheaper that would have done the exact same thing, probably had more features, you know, but you know, I didn't. And, and here we are. And, and I think most people are like that when they're, when they're buying products, typically it comes down to an emotional. So, so let's, let's come back to uh, the part three about, about now telling the story. Once you've identified the brand, the personality, the kind of the attributes the you know, I, I call it the, uh, cause vision mission some of these some of these things that you you refer to it a little differently how do you tell the story is there a framework for telling the story that works better than others you know the the, the simplest framework is putting the customer at the center of the story so most brands want to make themselves the hero. They want to tell everybody about Bullseye Capital. Bullseye Capital does this and that, and we're amazing. And and that's how most people go out and tell their story. But really what we need to be thinking about is the customer that Bullseye Capital serves and what is the transformation you provide and how do you make your customer the hero of their own story when using your product or service? So that would be the the simplest framework to think about. So, that, I mean, I mean, that's gotten a lot of press. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you tell a story where the customer is the hero and the product or the company is the helper? Yeah. You well, know, let me, that's, yeah, that, that's great. Great. I, I, have a, I have a story about a really great friend of mine. Uh, his name is Brian Smith and Brian is the founder of Ugg Boots. And when Brian was a, young, younger man. He's, he's older now. He, he was in, he came over from Australia. He was in Southern California. He comes out of the water, he's surfing and he looks over and he's like, nobody has sheepskin boots. And he's like, light bulb moment. I am going to get rich selling sheepskin boots. Cause this is a real problem. Like I, this is a real problem that I think I can solve. So well, what's, over, the, what's the problem that they don't have these boots? They have cold feet. Like everyone's shivering on the beach. Oh. You know, like after a surf session, they just can't, you know, right by you, right in, uh, right by La Jolla is where, where this all, where this all happened. And uh, so he goes to Australia, takes all his money, brings over a bunch of sheepskin boots because they're really, they're already really popular in Australia. They, we just don't know about them here in, in the U.S. And he starts trying to sell these boots and no one's buying these boots. And so a friend of his says, Brian, you need advertising. And he says, you're absolutely right. And he starts spending all his money on advertising, but the advertisements are all giant imagery of sheepskin boots. And they've got like arrows pointing to the features and look at these beautiful sheepskin linings and the soles. And they're great for surfing is the copy and no one's buying any boots. And he's about to give up on his business. He's about now, to- now, Did this fall into the category of a product uh, that solves a problem that people don't know they have or that they didn't? <laughs> I think, I think the surfers had this problem. I think uh, people had it. They probably didn't re- know how to solve it. This wasn't a comment. They were first to market. Um, but he was about to give up on, on the product. And in a last ditch effort, he has just enough money 
to, to, to shoot his own photos for the first time for his advertisements. And he takes these two young surfers down to Black's and Trestle's Beach, two young amateur surfers. He says, just go walk down, go down to your session. And he's just like taking pictures. And the ad that he prints is of these two young surfers walking down this famous walkway down to the beach. It's very iconic. A lot of people know. And the Ugg boots are microscopic. You can't even see them. And that ad is the inflection point that took off. And what Brian realized in that moment was that that was the story he needed to tell. He needed to tell that the Ugg boots are going to take you to amazing surf destinations, that Ugg boots are authentic accessory to a real surf session. And after that, it takes off. Oprah picks up his boots, like all, you know, women all over uh, Southern California and then all over the world are wearing Ugg boots. He turns it into a billion dollar company, but that's a true story. And that's how it happened. And that was the inflection point. As soon as he stopped showcasing the boots and started showcasing the story, the life of where those boots. So, so it's not about the boots. It's about how the boots are going to help you. Correct. So when you talk, you know, cause it's always been confusing to me that the uh, customer is the hero. They're not really the hero there, they, but it's how, it, how the product is going to help the person, not about the product itself. That that's kind of a little more clear. Right. Well, the, the, the customer becomes the hero because they become a real surfer when they wear Ugg boots. They become an authentic surfer. It, it's a part of their validation of becoming a surfer. And so that's how they've, they, they, they uplift their own. And then, and then it becomes kind of like necessary to have in their bag. They're not a real surfer if they don't have the real equipment in their bag. Right. That's that whole right. thing. But prior awesome. to that, they weren't seen as real surfer accessories. And I think that's the, the whole moral of the story. Nothing changed about the product. Right. Uh, but it was just, <laughs> it was just a perception that people were like, Hey, you're telling me these are for surfers. That like big and bold, you know, just boot, boot, boot. Like, I don't believe you. But the second that I can be transported in that story down to the beach, down to that famous break, then it, then it all clicked. For yeah. Me. You know, it, it, uh, it comes back to the whole writing thing that we started with that it, it, it's always amazing to me. I have so much respect and, and so greatly, uh, you know, hold in, uh, you know, just like I'm in awe of these people that kind of recraft or convert a brand from one thing to another by the stories they tell and they engineer it on purpose. Just like writers of movies, they engineer the story on purpose and we just kind of follow along. We're on the rails on the train and we just go along and, uh, and the magic happens. And it really is quite amazing. Yeah. It's incredible and it's intentional and it's, you know, I'm not going to sit here on this podcast and tell you it's easy. It takes a lot of work, takes a lot of discipline and, you, you gotta, you gotta stay at it and you gotta keep telling, telling a story that's relevant to your audience. You know, the, the thing is though, that, uh, it, it's definitely hard. And, and so only the top few percent of the people can do it, but the ones that are really successful are the top few percent of those few percent, because if you stop and think about all the big companies that have commercials, most of them are not memorable. Most of them are maybe stupid or maybe, maybe they're funny or maybe we laugh, but we don't remember the product when we're done. So what does it take to really have the magic? What, what is, what is the magic about? Well, we're, we're talking about a couple competing, you know, sort of, I guess, um, domains, which is advertising, which is a whole different story, right? Like how are we going to imprint things on people's brains as we, you know, go and in, in big advertisements. But I believe that 
Everybody has the ability to tell their story. Everybody has a movie studio in their pocket. We also have all these amazing platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. There, there's new ones coming out, right? Ways to distribute and reach people all over the world. You and I are talking across the country on, you know, I used to have a business that sold collaboration software. This used to be a $100,000 solution that we're on right now. And I'm on a prosumer mic for a couple hundred dollars. Like I have the same microphone that the most celebrated podcasters and, and, and radio personalities in the world have. Like there are very few obstacles to our success in storytelling. Really what it is, it's about doing it and it's about telling it. It's about honing and simplifying it. So you can go out and arm people because I believe also the single greatest thing you can do is just arm people with your story. So they go out and tell it. I love to tell when I do my keynotes, I, I open up with this whole story about how I had this amazing Thanksgiving dinner with my mother-in-law. And I was so excited because I was telling her about my new agency and I was telling her branding this, branding this, that, and how we're going to change the world. And she went out and told everybody and all her friends that I was a blogger. Right. And I was like, I'm not a blogger. And, and that's when I realized <laughs> I was doing a terrible job at arming her with my story, with arming her with the information she needed to tell people what I do. And, and that's really what we want, right? Especially in our, when we're a smaller business, you know, when, when I'm out at a party and someone says, Hey, you know, who do you know that's, that's in the capital space? You want me to be like, Oh, Joel, like, like, like but, but you, I have to be able to make that connection. And I only have, sort of a limited capacity to do that for areas in which I'm not an expert, right? So that's what storytelling really is all about. It's not about these big ad budgets. It's not about, you know, taking pictures of people, you know, at trestles. Although you can do that because again, we we can tell the story visually. It's however you are able to successfully tell it, you know, and we all have different skills. Some of us are better writers. Some of us are better visual storytellers. Lean into the one that you're good at. Hey, listen, man, you know, this, this show is all about the inside track, taking the inside track, which is the best, fastest and smartest way to get something done. And, and, and you've come through and given us the inside track on storytelling, kind of constructing stories, deconstructing stories, understanding uh, how they affect brands and, and the propulsion of companies to move forward. So uh, we thank you for joining us. Uh, you've been just a great guest. It's been a lot of fun to listen to you and, and just uh, visit. So uh, thank you very much for being with us. And, and and I hope we can stay in touch. Joel, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, thanks for having me. And we'll have all your info in the show notes. Fantastic. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Audavita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audavita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.